Hello, everyone, and welcome to our podcast, The Love and Dating Gurus with Dr. Den, an industry expert. I'm very excited about this show as it will bring new insight to our many listeners about the dating challenges of the 21st century and the do's and don'ts when seeking your soulmate. Everything you need or want to learn about the how-tos of dating and relationship will be discussed here. How to avoid being put into friend zone after the first date, being catfish, calm, or getting scammed, and so much more will be covered in this podcast. Toxic relationship can cause strife, breakup, or divorces. Infidelity, trust issues, trouble finances can contribute to these challenges. Guests appearing on our show are experts in this industry, sharing their insight about what you can encounter in any stage of dating, getting into relationship, and whatever else comes next. My name is Dr. Dan, and I'm your host for today's episode. I'm a bilingual cognitive behavior psychotherapist specializing in relationship, marriage counseling, using the EFT method and post-divorce strategies when transitioning back into a single life. I provide individual one-on-one sessions in both French or English and also do group settings. If you need any assistance, reach out to DMV Therapy and Coaching Services at 301-325-1550. And our official website can be found at metalifecoach.online. Today, I'm very excited to have for our third episode of season three, a very special guest and divorce attorney, Seth Nelson. And just like all my previous episode, I will leave it up to the guests to properly introduce themselves as no one can do a better job. Seth, the floor is yours. Well, thank you. I'm really excited to be here and have this conversation. I'm Seth Nelson. I am a divorce attorney. I am licensed in the great state of Florida, and I practice throughout the state, but primarily in Hillsborough County in um, kind of the Tampa Bay region. Beautiful. Well, you and I were neighbors. I mean, actually in Palm Harbor. So uh, I'm on my way. Oh, great. <laughs> it is a pleasure to have you, Seth. And uh, as mentioned prior to uh, recording this podcast, um, I wanted to be able to cover primarily, and I know the, the divorce part, a lot of people go into relationship without thinking about divorce. But sometimes when you see uh, the statistics in this country, where 50% of divorces uh, happen in the first marriage, then it goes up to 67, and then 73% for the third marriage, um, it's something that it is necessary to address. So let's not try to sugarcoat anything because these are the reality of relationships. You get into it, you don't know how the other person is going to change or how you are going to change. So it is important to be able to discuss this a little bit further. So um, based on your, your professional practice, helping uh, you know, like clients going through the divorce, how do you, um, not facilitate necessarily, but how do you try to make the divorce go as amicable as possible? The main thing I talk with my clients about is the court system is only there in a divorce to solve disputes. So the least number of disputes that you can have with your soon to be former spouse, the least amount of money you're gonna spend, the least amount of time in the process you're gonna spend, the least amount of time talking to lawyers you're gonna spend. So how do you solve problems? How do you have less disputes? And the biggest way people can have less disputes in their own divorce is to get their own egos out of the way. Mm -hmm. If you have children, it's not about you. It's about your kids. If you don't have children or we're dividing up assets, you'll have emotional attachments to assets, maybe to the house, maybe to your retirement, maybe to whatever the asset may be, but you need to set some of that aside and treat it more like a financial planning business transaction than an emotional breakup. I see. Now, as we know, uh, different states have different rules, different laws when it comes to divorces, like California and New York and Maryland is much harder to be able to get divorced where they, they try to elongate 
the divorce time before the final uh, signature. But in, in the state of Florida, um, is it an easy process? I mean, the, do they have to be separated for one year prior to actually filing for divorce? What are the rules when it comes to that? No, what you can do in Florida is first, the court has to have jurisdiction, has to have power to hear your case, which means one of you has to be a resident of Florida for at least six months before you file for divorce. Because what Florida doesn't want is someone from New York looking at the law in Florida and think, oh, it's more favorable for me to get divorced in Florida. Let me parachute in, become a resident day one and file on day two. So you have to be here for six months. But after you file, and I've done this on numerous cases, the moment we filed for divorce, we already had everything worked out. We had a parenting plan worked out. We had a marital settlement agreement worked out, which dealt with the division of assets, alimony, child support if there were children, who was paying the attorney's fees. So after you get those two documents, a parenting plan and a marital settlement agreement, when you file, I can get you divorced in 21 days. Oh, wow. <laughs> Talk about like a divorce on steroids. <laughs> right. Now, the hard part's done, right? The hard part of getting the agreements might have taken much longer. Yeah. But if you have what I've just described as an uncontested divorce, the day we file, I'm allowed to schedule a hearing in front of a judge. I have to wait 20 days. So on the 21st day, we can be in front of that judge and say, judge, we're done. Now, does it take a little longer? Yes. Why? just because we have to clear the judge's calendar. We have to get on their calendar. We have to clear the attorney's calendar. You might have plans or work or children and you might have something else and we have to clear your calendar. But the hard part's done. You've reached a parenting agreement. You've, division, you've divided your assets. You've talked about alimony and, the, and really the heavy lifting's done. And then the process can be easy. And the reason for that is because you're not fighting anymore. So there's not much left for the judge to do other than just to make sure you've been a resident for six months and everyone did what they're supposed to do for some basic court filings. Okay, so um, explain to the listeners, uh, Seth, that there's um, some misconception about people confusing what alimony and spousal support is. I know that alimony is based when the mother decides to stay with the kid. She basically, her opportunity cost was not working to be able to stay with the kid. So you have to kind of supplement her revenue to continue on with her lifestyle. Spousal support is when the husband made more money than the spouse and they have to pay a certain difference between both. Is that the right understanding? Not in Florida. So I really would stress to all of your listeners check your local jurisdictions. And as you know, on my podcast, which is how to split a toaster, we always say check your local jurisdiction, because like you said at the beginning, Florida is different than New York and California and all the different rules. So in Florida, alimony and spousal support are one in the same. Okay. And, and what that is, is when one spouse pays the other spouse during the divorce process, or a former spouse pays the other former spouse, money after the divorce. Now, currently in Florida, how there's really two issues. One is how much do you pay, if any, and for how long? Mm -hmm. So in Florida, how much do you pay is based on what we call need and ability to pay. So let's take hypothetically, you have a man that's been working, they've been married for 10 years, and the wife stayed home with the children. Just for easy sakes, people get this concept. And 10 years later, they get divorced. Well, 
The wife had a college education, but she never worked. So she's right now unemployed, but she can go out and get a job making $30,000 a year. Okay. But she has expenses just for her of $50,000 a year. She's short 20,000. So she has a need for alimony. And how did I get these numbers? It's called the standard of living. This is what they were basically living like as a married couple, okay. not money for the kids, just for her. Okay. So if she's short 20 grand, that's her need. Now you look at the husband. They, he makes $100,000 a year and he has $50,000 in expenses. He has an extra 50 grand every year to save. He's got enough money out of that 50, 20,000 to give to the wife for alimony. So he has the ability to pay it. I see. Okay. okay. Now for how long? In the hypothetical that I laid out, the most that the wife could get in this case is 10 years because that was the length of the marriage. And Florida has all different kinds of types of alimony and how long and is it modifiable? Is it not modifiable? Is it permanent? Which really doesn't mean permanent. So it can get very nuanced and confusing. But ultimately what I tell everyone who's going to be a recipient of alimony, the best thing you can do for yourself is to get gainful employment and try to become self-sufficient. Because an alimony award doesn't mean that the guy's going to pay it, doesn't mean that he won't get disabled, doesn't mean that he won't lose his job, doesn't mean that he won't die one day and it will stop. There's all these things that you might not actually get the check. So getting self-sustainable financially is always your best bet. Does Is it true, and I'm not sure if it's in the Florida or any other state in the country, but the only way for the woman to stop receiving alimony if she gets remarried again? Is that correct? No. No, okay, so there's the, numerous the ways in Florida where you can stop receiving alimony. One way has nothing to do with the, with the person receiving alimony. Okay. If the payor, let's say the husband in my hypothetical, loses his job due to no fault of his own, he doesn't have the ability to pay anymore. He can go back to court and say, I don't have the ability to pay. He becomes disabled. He gets very sick. He can't work. So it has nothing to do with the wife. She, former wife, she was out there working some. She was still short, 20 grand a year, but something happened to him and he no longer has the ability to pay. The other thing is if she decreases her expenses in Florida, if you go from a big house to a medium-sized house and you have less expenses, that could decrease your alimony. Okay. The best way to decrease your own alimony is you make more money. In my hypothetical, she needed 20,000, but she got a raise of 5,000. Now she only needs 15. Yes. So there's all sorts of ways that your alimony can be changed. And that's why it's important to become to the best of your ability. I'm not saying this is easy. Nothing I'm telling you today on this show is easy, mm -hmm. but to become financially self-sufficient to the best of your ability is always the best thing you can do. Now, in a, in a contested divorce where the, the spouse, the, the wife, um, tried to put stick in the wheels to be able to get the, the process uh, uh, wrapped up, is there a way to be able to um, ask the court why is she putting a stick in the wheels? Why is she contesting it? Why are the, is she doing this for spite? Is she doing this because she uh, tried to avoid um, kind of like uh, closing down this marriage. What is, you know, is there like some psychological aspect behind it? What are the, the ways for you as, uh, you know, when you deal with your client to be able to say, okay, what are the reason why is she contesting it? So in Florida, we have what's called, it's a no-fault state. 
The okay. judge doesn't really care why you're getting divorced. The judge just wants to know, is your marriage irretrievably broken? So, but your point is one well taken. Why does it take so long? <laughs> right? So I, as a lawyer, can only get you through the court system as fast as the slowest person or entity. So we have four people we're dealing with. Me, as let's say, I'll be the lawyer to the wife in this example. Me, my client, the wife, we have the husband and the husband's lawyer, and then we have the court system. Oh, so the average judge in Hillsborough County, Florida has 750 cases. Oh, geez. So it's not necessarily easy to get on the court's calendar. Okay. Um, so when you say, hey, someone's slowing it down, one of the things that I think is important for lawyers to do is to get people through the process as quickly as possible, stay on top of their cases. If someone doesn't give you the documents required, you file the appropriate paperwork, you set up for a hearing, you go to court, judge, we didn't get the documents. They don't give it to you in 10 days. You immediately file again. You said again, you keep pushing it forward. Okay. Now, to your point, sometimes the client slows it down. I think that has to deal with the stages of grief. Okay. I've lost they it. aren't at acceptance yet. They're still fighting. There'll be anger. There'll be bargaining. Sometimes they don't want the divorce on either side, men or women. And the only thing keeping them married is the litigation. I see. So a lot of that has to do with psychology. Where are you in this grieving process? Uh, you bring up a, a point that just like uh, popped in my head. You said that sometimes the wife and the husband don't want to get divorced. And why are they in that position anyway? It might be just one of them doesn't want the divorce. And that's what I meant. Oh. One, one wants the divorce. The other does not. The one that does not isn't at acceptance yet. The other spouse might already be at acceptance. And that person wants it done now. Snap the fingers. Let's go. We're done. Let's move on. And I'm like, whoa, you just called me. <laughs> <laughs> An average divorce takes six to 18 months. Oh, and you want it done now. So if we can work everything out and I can get you done in 21 days after the date of filing, but we might take three, six months to work out this deal. How quickly do you give me the documents? How much are we going to fight over where the kids stay? What's the parenting plan going to be? What's the custody? What's the visitation arrangements? Are we going to argue over the holidays? Like the more we argue about, the longer it takes. Okay. Now, when, when it comes to the, um, the writing of the MSA, when it comes to the, the child custody issue, is it 60, 40, 30, 70, whatever it is, is it what takes the longest amount of time is about agreeing about how or how many days of the week you're going to get the kids? What takes the long? Is it the separation of asset that takes the longest in the whole process prior to, to uh, or during the discovery process? What in your experience, Seth, takes the longest before showing up in front of the judge? I think what takes the longest, and it depends on the case, is getting all the documents you need to do the analysis. Okay. Any parent right now could sit down in my office in a couple hours. We could go through a full parenting plan and talk about the positives and negatives of each plan. Okay. Now, the agreement is the hard part. If you have a co-parent that suffers from mental illness, mm -hmm. that suffers from alcoholism, that suffers from drug addiction, if there's, domestic, if there's domestic violence, if you're dealing with a narcissist, like, these are all things that will make your case go a lot longer because that person isn't going to agree 
necessarily to what you believe is best for the children. And then they won't agree on the custody and visitation plan. And now you're often running in the court system. Now, do you think um, it is somewhat more economical because we both know that uh, divorces are a very expensive set um, where they could get a mediator that comes in between. So they're not representing either the wife or the husband. They're basically neutral of who get, but they just basically are appointed by the court and then they could decide about the best way to be able to go moving forward. I think that the more you can settle your issues, the better. And I'm a certified Florida Supreme Court mediator in family law, mediated hundreds, if not thousands of cases. So the issue with mediation is one, you need to have a good mediator. Okay. Two, I do recommend that you're represented by counsel because you might be giving up something that you don't know you're giving up or the way the document is drafted. It's a legal contract and that mediator is not allowed to give you legal advice. So why would you take a contract that's going to affect your children and your money and not have it reviewed by a lawyer? That's a good so point. I think that's a problem. And it's hard to go to a mediator when you don't have a lawyer, because let's say you get that contract and you think, oh man, this is great. We got it. I just want to make sure I understand everything. And you go to the lawyer and the lawyer says, there's all sorts of problems. Well, you can't unring the bell and the other side of this your spouse is going to be like, but we had an agreement. So you went and talked to that darn divorce attorney. Yes. Yeah. Right. So getting some information, educating yourself and being prepared for mediation. Now I am a big advocate of mediation in Florida. The courts will send you to mediation before you're allowed to go to a trial. The magic of mediation is one. Everyone has to be prepared. You have to have the financial documents. You have to be ready to talk about the parenting issues. You have to be ready to go. And if you can do that, the magic of mediation is everybody's focused on it at the same time. You're in one room with your lawyer, the other spouse is in the other room with their lawyer and the mediator goes back and forth. So Dr. Dan, you give an offer. Hey, here's what I want the parenting plan to be. Even if you sit in that room and you wait two hours for the mediator to come back, that's a lot better than two to three, four weeks when you sent an offer to the other lawyer, the other lawyers in trial. And then after trial, the other lawyer was on vacation and now it's two weeks. And then they finally get with their client who's busy and the client can't get in to review the parenting plan for another week. And so now we're three or four weeks back and then we get the response. Mediation, you get it right away. But mediation, as you said, can become more complicated because of if, let's say, you get the uh, agreement reviewed and then you realize that it is not to, to your advantage. But then at this point, if the other spouse says, well, I thought we we're going to agree upon a mediation and not having to go and seek the help of a counsel. And now you're going behind my back. So I'm surprised of what other things you're hiding. That's right. It, it's a breakdown in trust. And once it's a yes. breakdown in trust, we always, as you know, we always assume the worst. Yes, correct. That is so true. So um, I know that our listeners, you know, when they, they, they love hearing about successes, mostly um, not really failures, if we could call those failures in divorce. But um, when it comes to love and dating and relationship, um, when it comes to getting or entering a relationship, is it important to be able to kind of discuss about what you're coming in with and with and a lot of people talk about um you know like the premarital um agreement or like the uh what they the prenup yeah yes exactly yeah. so do you recommend that will facil- that will facilitate any um issues into the future because you came in with this 
and you're going to leave with that. And whatever is common property is when we're going to divide those assets, which is going to eliminate a lot of headaches of what was built during the relationship. So do you recommend this as a prenup being one of the topic of conversation before entering into relationship or getting married? Or that really is, um, I would say, a way to kind of like let the other person, I don't trust you. I want to protect my asset. And I want to be able to start fresh together. Whatever we build together is one thing. Whatever I come into the relationship, that's another. And that it should be protected with my asset because let's say the husband is a multimillionaire. That would be smarter for him to do so. Uh, but then again, what would you recommend when it comes to prenup? And then a woman can always come up with the excuses to say, oh, it was written on the duress. It was, you know, he asked me to sign the prenup two or three days before the, the wedding. What can we do? How can that be uh, protected? So on your hypothetical where it's like, hey, I got asked to sign this two or three days before the wedding, depending on the fact circumstance on that case. But if that's the only fact, I would say a Florida court's going to kick that prenup out because it was under duress. Um, now, before you talk about do we get a prenup or not, let's take it back one step. How do you talk about finances with your soon-to-be spouse? People have more of a difficult time talking about money than they do about sex. Mm -hmm. So here you are, you're engaged. We're going to assume that you've been totally naked in bed with this person, totally vulnerable, having sexual intercourse, but you can't talk about money. So we need to learn to have these conversations. And this should be with whether it's a couple on their first marriage very early on, and they're going to build a life together. What do we envision? Am I going to, is one parent going to stay home with children if we have them? How are we going to handle our finances? Are we making an agreement that we're never going to carry credit card debt and we're going to pay it off every month? Are we going to pull our credit report every six months and review it and to make sure what our scores are so we can save for the house? These are the type of conversations that are lost prior to marriage which money is one of the big reasons people get divorced because it's a breakdown of communication. And as you know, Dr. Dan, communication's the key. And if you can't talk about something that's going to have major impact on your life, your money and where it comes in and how it gets saved. And do we give to charity? If so, what charities and how much do we put away for retirement? And what about kids savings? And we decide not to have kids. We decide to have kids. Now we're going to be down on one income. How do we do all of these things? If you're not talking about that before you get married, I think you're going to you know, be in potentially for a world of hurt. And then when you do talk about it, if your spouse has trouble talking about it, that's another sign. So let's get over that hurdle. Now, that's the young couple. The same is true for the second marriage. Okay. And on the second marriage, now you usually have people with more net worth or they've built a business and they want to protect that. And maybe they have a child from the previous marriage. And so what happens, not just if we get divorced, but if I die, I want to leave some to my child, not all of it to my new spouse. Right. So you just have to have these conversations and there's no right or wrong ultimate answer in what people decide to do. Mm -hmm. The most important is you have the conversation on an equal playing field and go to lawyers that are experienced in having these types of conversations and negotiations. And if you're going to do a prenup, make sure that it's going to be valid and enforceable because ultimately that's what you're asking that lawyer to do. 
And for the, the rules in Florida uh, set, how long does the person have to sign a prenup for it to be valid be or not rejected by the courts and not being written on the duress uh, before the wedding date? Is it a month? Is it six months? Is, what is it exactly the time? There's not an exact cutoff. Okay. It's a variety of factors. Okay. So I advise my clients, sign it, wait six months, get married. Okay, beautiful. Okay. But also within the signing of the document, make sure that it's videotaped. So neither one can come back and say, look, I was under duress. Well, look at the video, <laughs> like, <laughs> right? Or take a deposition. I have a court reporter that records it, you know? Afterwards, immediately afterwards, sometimes what we do is we pop some champagne. We got this done. So now if they go to say they're under duress, well, ma'am, didn't you give a toast with champagne five minutes after you signed this document? Yes. You know, sir, didn't you buy the champagne to celebrate? And I know that your wife has more money, but now you're saying you're under duress and you're the guy that brought the champagne. Like, and, and I say that in jest, but I've had prenup signings where that's occurred. Okay. And I know exactly what the lawyer is doing is they're just protecting the, what I'll put in quotes, the record right? What's really happening? That's a whole lot different when someone's signing a prenup on the hood of the limousine standing outside the wedding chapel before walking in. Oh, yeah, yeah. That's, that definitely will not be validated or accepted in court. Um, so in your practice, uh, Seth, and I know that uh, you, you, know, you, you have dealt with so many cases, um, and I know that you cannot really divulge any case, but what was the longest that has taken you to be able to come to um, to signing the final document and being approved by the court in terms of like a divorce? Does it take, was the longest like five years? Because sometimes you hear about celebrity divorce, like Arnold Schwarzenegger took 11 years to be able to be uh, divorced from Maria Shriver. Uh, and many of the divorces take five, eight years. Is it because they're in California, which makes it even longer? Or is it because they have too many assets to split? Is that the reason? Well it's, it's how much are they arguing over these different issues? So I wasn't involved in this case directly. Um, there was a case here in Florida. I'm very good friends with one of the litigants over 10 years. The case went up and down in the appellate courts. There was a judge that had the case who's no longer on the family law bench that took two years to rule. So sometimes that slows it up. Um, the more fighting um, I've had cases in my office over 10 years, but it's not just for the initial divorce. Sometimes they get divorced. And then unfortunately what happens, we're done. And then there's fighting later. And then that can go on as well. Okay. I see. I see. Now uh, for our listeners, and I'm sure that uh, unfortunately I do not want to be the, 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 the bearer of bad news, but some listeners are probably going through that process at this moment. So if anyone who lives in Florida, um, can you please tell the listeners how they can they reach out to you in case they want to be able to seek your services and figure out the best way to be able to uh, end their marriage? So you can find me on our website, which is Nelson LG. Dot com. That's N-E-L-S-O-N-L-G.com. My email is Seth, S-C-T-H at NelsonLG.com. And you can always go to wherever you get your podcast and listen to How to Split a Toaster, a divorce podcast about saving your relationships. Beautiful. Well, 
on that note, that is all the time that we have for today's podcast. I really appreciate you, Seth, for taking the time of your very busy schedule to join us and sharing your extensive knowledge in the field of marriage and divorces. Now, the many recommendations you shared to our loyal listeners will help them better navigate through these choppy waters. Now, we hope that you've all enjoyed today's episode. I'm also very excited about the many upcoming guests that we have for schedules for season three of the Love and Dating Group with Dr. Den podcast, filled with very valuable tips and advice, just like the one that you listen today. My name is Dr. Dan Emzelag, and you may all stay safe, sane, smart, and financially savvy when searching for that special someone. Stay tuned for our next episode.